Hi, I'm Paul Lisnick, and this is the WGN-TV Political Report coming up. The less 2020 resembles 2016 in our party, the better. It's the final fight ahead of caucus night. Will any Democrat leave Iowa on top? Tamon Bradley is live from a presidential campaign trail. Plus, if you're going to pick a Midwestern state that kind of mirrors the United States, you'd pick Illinois. Should the land of Lincoln become the first primary state in the nation? We're talking to experts about that and the state of the race. And later... And while there's a little bit of uh, urgency, I don't want to say that there's a rush job. Sports betting slowdown while Illinoisans are still taking their Super Bowl bets across the border to Indiana. We begin on the presidential campaign trail. Democrats are making their final push in Iowa before tomorrow's caucuses. Tamon Bradley has been following the candidates across the state this weekend. He joins us live from Des Moines this morning. Good morning, Tamon. Good morning, Paul. We spent yesterday following three of the top candidates across the eastern part of the state. They are hunting for last minute votes and making sure that their supporters are energized. They want to get them to the caucuses on time tomorrow night for the most important vote, the first in the nation, Iowa caucuses. Uh, now, Right now, former Vice President Joe Biden and former South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg, they're talking about the importance of Democrats coming together no matter who the nominee is. But, Paul, right now these Democrats realize what's at stake, and they're beginning to engage each other in a very sharp way. Take a listen. The president's going to have to unite not only our party who gets the nomination, and that's going to be required as well, I might add, but they're going to have to be able to unite the country. I refuse to accept what some of my colleagues seeking the nomination think that there'll be an endless war between Democrats and Republicans. With Vice President Biden, the, the message is that this is no time to take a risk on someone new. But I'm here to make the case that history has taught us that the greatest risk we could take going into a high-stakes election would be to fall back on the familiar. So those are the moderates. Senator Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are telling a different story. They believe it's time for radical change. No matter what happens tomorrow, the Democrats are ready to take on President Trump in November. We will, we must come together as a party and beat Donald Trump. That is our job. And I got a plan for that. Now, not everyone here in Iowa is headed to a caucus tomorrow night. The crowd at Mayor Pete's town hall included some Chicagoans who drove hundreds of miles to take in the action. That included a family from Evanston. Part of what's remarkable about our moment, I think, is that young people are bringing the moral authority of those with the most at stake into the conversation. The release of the highly anticipated Des Moines Register poll was canceled. It was supposed to come out last night, but Mayor Pete Buttigieg's campaign raised concerns about the quality of the poll. So now, Paul, we'll just have to wait for the voters to, wait, to, to, to vote. No early poll. We do. You know, Taman, Democrats are obviously the main draw there right now, but are Republicans, are they still caucusing tomorrow night? Republicans will indeed caucus at the same time, 7 o'clock. They will go to their caucus site and they will cast uh, their votes. Their caucuses run a little bit different than the Democratic 
uh, caucuses. Now, people here in the Hawkeye State, they understand the process. It's a great tradition of showing up at caucuses and casting a vote for president. But for outsiders, it can seem like a foreign language. So we put together this explainer. Quickly, this is not about politics. Tonight's about policy. If you like the fact that I came here, or you can't stand the fact that... In American tradition of almost 50 years, the Iowa caucuses mark the first time voters say who they want to be president. There are different sets of rules for Democrats and Republicans. The GOP process is simple. Caucus goers gather at churches, community centers, and private residences to listen to speeches and cast ballots in secret. A winner is announced and delegates awarded. For Democrats, it's more complicated. There's wheeling and dealing. Most caucus goers enter with a preferred candidate and organizers take count. If a candidate receives support from 15% of the room, that candidate is considered viable. If a candidate doesn't reach the threshold, that person's supporters can either leave or make a second choice. And that's when things get interesting. Wayne Steger is a professor at DePaul University and an Iowa native. There's an opportunity at this point for people in the room to negotiate and talk about why those people who supported, say, Andrew Yang or some other candidate who doesn't make that 15% threshold in a particular precinct has to uh, join our candidate. And so there's a huge amount of personal politicking. The whole process takes about an hour or two. The stakes are enormous. Iowa can make or break a campaign. No one who's finished third or worse has ever gone on to win the presidency. The traditional role of Iowa is not really picking the winner. What it does do, however, is winnows the losing candidates. Many Democrats have long complained about Iowa's outsized influence. After all, the Hawkeye state is predominantly white. Demographically, Iowa is certainly not diverse. If you're going to pick a Midwestern state that kind of mirrors the United States, you'd pick Illinois. Uh, Illinois is about in the perfect average demographically for the entire country. Okay, income, uh, racial, gender, college-educated, immigrant populations. The case for Iowa is retail politics, person-to-person -person contact. Candidates spend months in Iowa organizing. The candidates spend so much time there, these people make a much more informed vote than almost anywhere else in the country. If you went to some kind of national primary, you would restrict so the race to this. candidates who can raise money. There is no chance for a Pete Buttigieg or a Amy Klobuchar who may not have a whole lot of money but who are really, really impressive in the room. The well-funded, well-researched, sophisticated campaigns make a personalized pitch. Experts say the Obama 2008 campaign is the gold standard. Grassroots workers are going door to door. Some of the candidates have enough you know, data research, and this was one, for example, Barack Obama, really his campaign primed it. Uh, people walking door to door with their iPhones not only do they have who the voter is, but they may have a script tailored to that voter based on the research on the demographics. Let's have a system that works for everyone! It's not just Iowa, the crucial first stop on the road to the presidency. All right, so that's how it works. We mentioned earlier the Republican contest, former Congressman Joe Walsh, he is bouncing around the state. He hopes to defeat President Trump, but recent polls show that he has no chance. He's still giving it a shot. 
Uh, Paul, we did talk to David Yepsen. You don't come to Iowa without talking to him. He is an Iowa political legend, and you'll see him coming up later in our program. Paul, back to you. All right, thanks, Tamon. Still to come later this half hour, the state of our union lands in the hands of the U.S. Senate. Illinois Congressman Sean Kasten weighs in ahead of President Trump's big speech. Stay with us. Welcome back to WGN-TV Political Report in Iowa. Caucus goers serve as candidates' first hurdle to the White House. But, of course, Chicago had a role in making that happen. Taman joins us from Des Moines with more in this week's Closer Look. Welcome back. Joining us is David Yepsen, an Iowa native and expert on the Iowa caucus. It's so great to have you on a day like today. This is the real Super Bowl here in <laughs> Iowa. Of politics it is, that's right. Overnight we'd hoped to have a brand new Des Moines Register poll, the gold standard in polling here in Iowa, but it did not come out. Come out. There was a quality control issue. Right. Somehow they messed up the uh, uh, list of candidate names they were reading to respondents. Have to throw it out. Very frustrating. Who was the candidate that was impacted? Um, I think maybe Amy Klobuchar might have been impacted because she's been moving up in the polls and she really needed uh, a psychological boost that a good poll can give you this close to an election. Something to maybe show that she was within striking right. distance. Right. All right, I want to get back to the candidates in a moment, but there actually is a Chicago connection to making Iowa first in the nation. It, it goes all the way back to the 1968 convention, Democratic convention. That's right. This is very much a result of what happened in Chicago at that convention. Party tore itself up. Afterwards, the party tried to do a reform commission and create some new rules. And one of the things they did was they wanted to spread out the, the timing of various events in a party nomination process. So if you did your national convention in August, you had to do your state convention in June to give people time to organize and form platform resolutions and open the party up. Well, in Iowa, that back, they backed it up clear into February of, of a presidential year. And that just coincidentally happened to be first, the first place in the country where somebody started something that picked delegates to the national convention. Now, they didn't set out to do that, but they recognized this could be pretty neat. They were trying to help a, a, a Democratic Senator, Harold Hughes, maybe get a bump up in 72. But yeah, it very much started right there in your city. Truly amazing. Caucuses, of course, are very unique. It's about enthusiasm. Do you have a sense of who has the most enthusiastic voters, supporters? I think Bernie Sanders probably has the most uh, supporters. Uh, I, he's heavily favored in, in my book to, to win just basically on the basis of the numbers of people. He's had a, a presence here for four years. The Bernie people were pumped up four years ago against Hillary Clinton. They narrowly lost. They think they won, but the delegate counting numbers that denied him a victory. So I think Bernie Sanders probably. And nationally, it seems like he may have peaked at just the right moment in order to win Iowa in some of these early states. Right. And because and we leave Iowa and the, the race goes to New Hampshire, he's heavily favored, not favored, but he's got a, a, a real contest with Elizabeth Warren there, sort of the New England regional shootout, if you will. Uh, and it, 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 Bernie Sanders could roll this nomination up pretty quickly if he wins Iowa, then New Hampshire, uh, and Nevada, where he has a lot of strength in the Latino community. Let's talk about Mayor Pete Buttigieg. He was on Republican turf yesterday. He's making a play for moderate Republicans. What do you make of that? Well, 
the secret to winning a caucus is to bring new people into it. Uh, and if, if Pete Buttigieg figures he's got his chance with moderate Republicans, uh, and he might, a lot of moderate Republicans unhappy with their party and with Donald Trump, then that's a smart move for him to make. It's easy to ch go to a caucus and change your registration. You can do it right there. And so a Republican could become a Democrat with the stroke of a pen at the caucus. Speaking of Republicans, it, it certainly seems like President Trump's impeachment unified the party. Uh, did, did that unity that we saw in, in, in Washington sort of hurt the chances um, for, for Joe Walsh and the Republicans who, who wanted to challenge President Trump? Yeah, there's no question. There there's not been any, anybody here who's a serious challenger uh, to, to take on Donald Trump. There's not much of a campaign. Um, they get very little media attention. No, this is this is a Trump victory. And I'll just ask you with 10 seconds left, uh, biggest moment of the campaign here in Iowa. Oh boy. Well, I think the uh, episode last night with uh, the, the, the Iowa poll having to, uh, gold standard poll, having to pull back and, to, and not publish a poll because there were methodological problems. That's a, that was a, a big event. Well, now we'll just have to wait to see what the voters decide. No more polls. <laughs> That's right. David Epson, so nice to have you. Thanks. Really Thank appreciate you for it. Having me. Back to you, Paul. All right, thanks, Taman. Coming up next, while all eyes are on the U.S. Senate impeachment trial, some lawmakers look to shift the conversation back to policy. Can the State of the Union change that narrative? We're talking with Illinois Congressman Sean Caston when we come back. The Senate is focused on wrapping the impeachment trial, but what has the House been doing these past couple of weeks? Let's talk about it with Illinois Congressman Sean Kasten, Democrat of Illinois 6th District. Congressman, good morning. Good morning, Paul. So you are not directly involved in the impeachment trial because you're in the House, not the Senate, but you did vote to impeach the president. How much has this trial halted progress in the House? Not at all in any meaningful way. I mean, I always remind folks when I do all these town halls that you know, I'm on the Financial Services Committee, I'm on the, the Science Committee, I'm on the Climate Committee, and it's sort of surreal because I get friends who text me who say, oh my God, are you in this hearing? And I say, the hearing on ocean acidification? Yes. And that, you know, that also applies to my colleagues on armed services and Homeland Security. We're doing a lot of stuff. We've sent um, over 275 bipartisan bills to the Senate, over 400 bills. Um, and these are bills that, that the American people want, prescription drug reform, campaign finance reform, the Equality Act to protect the LGBT community. And we got the government, we fully funded the government, all but 97% of the government because of the wall, by the end of June, which was the fastest the government has ever done the appropriations process since 2006. So we're waiting for the Senate, obviously, to act on these things. Let me ask you, the impeachment has helped Democrats or would help them in progressive districts, but your district, you shifted from red to blue back in 2018. What are you hearing from voters on that topic? Well, so I called for this very early on, and it wasn't because I wanted to impeach the president, but because I feel like if you trust democracy, then you have to trust that if you give people accurate information, they'll make the right decisions. And so I actually had a whole town hall in impeachment where I said, I'm not going to try to convince you of my opinion, but I want, you to, I want us to work from a common set of facts. And, and the, the, the neatest thing that I heard after that was a constituent who came up to me and said, this is the civics lesson we've all been waiting for. And I think we need to have those conversations about facts and truth and, and how fragile this beautiful democracy is and do that not because of the politics, but because because this country is worth defending. 
Congressman, let me take you to the State of the Union, which is coming up in a couple of nights. You'll be there. President Trump will open or somewhere near the beginning. Do what every president does. I'm going to make you president for a moment. Fill in the blank. <laughs> the State of Our Union is... Kofidi. <laughs> I don't, I don't, know that I, 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 you know, I don't, I'm sure the president is going to say that it's, that it's fantastic. Um, Kofidi might be a more honest answer because it's, it's complicated, right? The stock market's up, GDP, we're in a long post-war boom, that's terrific. Wage inequality's through the roof. The deficits because of the last tax cut are giving us no ammunition going into the next recession. Um, it's complicated. We should be dealing with that complexity. He will talk about the economy for sure. Your sense of, this, of the current climate, strong economically? Um, so I sit on the Financial Services Committee where we, you know, we have oversight. We have Secretary Chairman Powell in once a quarter. I think he's going to be in again next week, if I'm not mistaken. And what I'm very nervous about is that every time we bring in legit experts on this, what becomes clear is that we have we're supposed to be saving money for a rainy day when the economy booms and then spending, you know, everything going back to Keynes is that we should be counter-cyclical. We have not only run up massive deficits during an expansion, but are at a point where interest rates are so low that we have really very low, we have very little ammunition when the, when the turn comes as it will. And so, you know, I feel a little bit like we're in an economy right now where we had a campfire and we pour gasoline on it and now the fire's burning brighter. But we, you know, eventually we're going to need some firewood, right? All right. Well, so one of the things I do want to make sure we have time, you get to bring a guest, every congressman yeah. does. You're bringing 97-year-old Dr. Dieter Martin Gruen. Why? So Dr. Gruen is an amazing individual and he's the type of person where when you hear his life story, you, he makes you proud to be an American. Um, he's a neighbor of mine in Downers Grove, which is not the reason I invited him. He grew up, was born in Germany, 1922, was bullied by the Hitler Youth as a Jew. His parents got him out and moved him to Arkansas, were then put in concentration camps. His dad got out of the concentration camp in 39, reunited him here. He went to Northwestern, ended up working on the Manhattan Project, um, ended up later helping to develop the nuclear, submarine, nuclear Navy with Admiral um, Rickover. The, became a very active voice in figuring out how to, how to make sure that nuclear weapons don't proliferate. And at 97 years old, he is going skiing in Vail uh, later this year. He was skiing in Austria last year. And I went to his house and he was showing me these, he's got 60 patents, including some really neat developments in solar technology yeah. that he's developed. He is, he is an inspiration to all of us, and, and I've nominated him for a Presidential Medal of Freedom, actually, to try to recognize we'll his look contribution. forward to seeing him. He has only 60 more patents more than me. Yes. Uh, Congressman Sean Kasson, thanks for being with Thank me. You, I appreciate Paul. My it. My pleasure. We'll be right back. win the big game to how long the national anthem will be sung. But what you can't do is place your bet here in Illinois. Despite legalizing sports betting last June, state officials still lagging behind neighboring states in getting the program up and running. So what's the holdup? Well, critics blame pricey licensing fees. See, it'll cost brick and mortar businesses $10 million just to get in the door and any earnings will be taxed at a staggering 15%. Well, so far, three casinos have applied. State Representative Mike Zalewski helped craft the law, and he says the state is just being thorough. 
you know, we need to be competitive in our fees. The minute you set too low of a fee or too low of a tax, um, you know, it, especially on an energy industry like gaming, um, it's it's hard to revisit that. So uh, we're going to take our time and do it right. But let's see who applies. Let's see what kind of licenses are issued, and then we'll go back and revisit whatever we have to. Well, Zalewski is optimistic the program could be ready to go before March Madness begins. Tax money collected from sports gambling is slated to help fund Illinois' massive capital bill. But for now, our dollars are helping out the Hoosier State. Officials in Indiana say gamblers spent more than $435 million on sports wagers last year alone. All right, that'll do it for this week's political report. It's going to be a busy week ahead. We're going to be carrying on WGN, the closing arguments on Monday, given by both sides. We're also going to be carrying the vote on Wednesday afternoon as well. You won't want to miss that, the impeachment vote. And of course, we'll be in Iowa talking about what is going on there as well and the State of the Union. Just your ordinary week here in Chicago. And we'll cover it all for you on WGN TV's political report. I'm Paul Listnick. Thanks for watching us, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye.